Hi, this is Colin from Worse in the Industry. We have a lot of laughs on our show, and we get into some pretty heated topics, so it's important to remember that the views expressed by the hosts of Worse in the Industry are our own, and in no way are representations of the views held by the Planet Ant Podcast Network or Planet Ant as an organization, even when we're right. Yell at us, not them. Thanks, and enjoy the show. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Before the bathroom became super gross. Yeah. Like oh, you mean the oh, like a week after it opened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to see. I think the Ramones played within the first few weeks of CBGB's being open, so. Yeah. Uh, them and it was. Uh, Los Ramones. Uh, Patty. Patty, what's her face? Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that lady. That lady you know, was you like. You know who played there a bunch too? Hmm. The Talking Heads. Yeah. Hmm. That always fucks me up, because I'm like, yeah, it's CBGB's, it's the pump bar, you know, it's the Ramones, fucking television, fucking, you know. But, like, television is really punk, like, that's the thing, it's, right? I mean, is that they like... were, they definitely were closer to punk than fucking the talking heads. But that's but the were But con- they were country and bluegrass It's bar. all part of the same, yeah. No, that CBGB, was... country bluegrass. And they never played either of those things. Exactly. Because <laughs> it turned into a punk bar immediately. That's what happens when beer's too cheap. Punks show up. Mm-hmm. Go to the Independent Comedy Club in Hamtramck on Fridays and Saturdays. Yeah. <laughs> free, free plug for the indie. Hey, they got cheap beer. It's it's cold. They got cheap it's... beer. It's cold and good comics. And good comics. Including this, we're not getting, We don't get paid for this advert. We, we're not we getting comics. Oh, yeah, no. We still pay to get into the independent yeah, comedy no, club. It's, I, yeah, it's we should have that shit, Tom. Parker and Jess, if you're, if you're listening. No, I think Parker and Jess also pay to get into the indie. <laughs> we should certain. be we should be comped for uh No, we should not be comped, okay? We buy beer there anyway. Uh, I mean, yes, we buy supposed beer. to buy beer there. Alright, well I think that'll actually give us a good good start for the show today. Um <clears throat> Hey, hi, hello, and welcome once again to Worst in the Industry, the show where this trio of Redneck dumbasses passes one beer around like we're the fates in Hercules. <laughs> that beer is called Truth? No, no, no. My name is Justin St. Peter, and that was a fucking reach to my left. It's Colin Stanley. I'm held together with Old Crow and Turkish L&Ms. I smoke them because I like the Bill Hicks joke about low birth weights. To my left... Uh, my name's Tyler, and I went and saw Lou Graham of Foreigner fame. Uh, Lou, Graham. Lou, Lou Graham. Lou uh, Graham. He he was not in good shape. God, no, uh, it's no, they never are, Tyler. They never he are. only he only showed up for half of the set. 
yeah. The the first half they only played Asia songs, so that was yeah. Oh my god. And then and then they went off they went off stage, right? Like to do their like encore. And there's me drunk as shit in the front row screaming, "You didn't play Jukebox Hero." You didn't play Jukebox Hero! And yeah, then they played Jukebox Hero. It's gonna be a rough one, folks, at home, uh, because today, after long last, we are going to begin the murmurings, the rumblings, the very beginnings of a series on oil. To guide us through this absolute fucking minefield of horseshit, our very own Colin Stanley. Hi, guys. Uh, this I think this series is gonna put me on suicide watch. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, I, th- I thought it was gonna be three episodes. It's probably gonna be four minimum, maybe more. Who's to say? Uh, also, I if if any of you have gone on the uh, one clue scavenger hunt that is to find my Twitter account, um, turns out new oil shit happens every fucking day. So yeah. I've just been inundated with new information at a on a daily basis. It's, uh, so uh it's it's getting rough. It's I've read multiple books. Um my fucking brain is leaking out of my ears, so hopefully this helps. Uh let's let's get it started. Do you do you boys have any questions before we start? You got any yucks that you uh, wanna yes. get in? Yes, I have a question. Yes. What is oil? So, uh, oil, typically, when we're referring to oil, we're referring to crude oil. Uh, crude oil is essentially petroleum. Now, as you probably know, uh, petroleum is a byproduct of the decomposition of carbon-based life forms, right? So, and that, that takes place over hundreds and hundreds of millions of years. Yeah, all them liquid dinosaurs and plants. Well, Mostly actually... Plants. Exactly. So that what most people don't actually know is that most petroleum, like a gross majority of petroleum, is derived exclusively um, from cyano, uh, cyanobacteria uh, or blue-green algae, uh, as it's also referred to as. Um, the, actually, it's really cool. Um, on certain shores, especially in Australia, that has a lot of old rock uh, on its uh, shoreline, you can actually see these stat. They, they look like tiny little plateaus or mesas just in the mm. water, and they're actually fossilized stacks of algae mats. Basically, you know, these things they're they're unicellular. Algae is usually multicellular, um, but they're so old that it's back when algae was only a single cell. Um, they actually like they stack up on top of each other like these rafts of algae. And then over time, they just build higher and higher, and they all die, and it all compresses, and they all die, and it all compresses. And so you get these, like, cool, like, little pillars in the ocean um, if they're closer to the surface, but if they're deeper uh, in the earth or underwater, you get oil. You get petroleum. Hmm. All right. Uh, Now, I would say that any person with, like, a moderate interest in evolutionary biology, you know, like half of our listener base, at least, yeah. <laughs> uh, of course. Oh, you mean the smartest people in the entire world? Exactly. Yes. They they probably already can see the irony uh, in this that that blue green algae um, is the the main source of petroleum because um, these bacteria are actually believed by most evolutionary biologists to be the primary cause 
of the Great Oxidation Event. Now, that happened about uh, 2 billion years ago. Um, and this was basically these, these huge rafts of blue-green algae uh, were producing oxygen through photosynthesis. Um, previous to them, um, most of our atmosphere was methane. Um, not conducive to terrestrial life. Yeah, you um, can't really yeah. breathe farts that well. <clears throat> no, uh, I can't really breathe methane. <laughs> exactly. So they actually, these are the creatures that actually made it possible for life to exist um, outside of the ocean. Um, mm. They actually killed a bunch of life in the ocean too because they blocked uh, sunlight uh, for some deeper uh, uh, plants and animals that did rely on the, uh, the energy from the sun. But yeah. isn't um, isn't Saturn's atmosphere most, mostly methane? Uh, believe it or not, I believe it is Uranus that is mostly methane. That it's yeah, that's it not is even Uranus. a joke. Uranus is most mostly methane, and that's why yeah. That's yeah. why it's so. That's why eventually that might be Earth too in like a bunch of millions of years. Well, actually, I think I think Titan. Uh, the, Titan. Uh, Ti the, well, the, Titan. Titan has ice. Water. Well, it's not liquid water. It's liquid nitrogen. Oh, I thought it was which causes the surface. no. It it causes problems because when the sun hits it, it boils over and makes like a volcano explosion of molten fucking nitrogen. That's hot. It's kind of badass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sweet. But let's live know. there. That sounds <laughs> That's great. Fucking, it's fucking metal as shit. It's terraforming might be hard, and terraforming might be hard with volcanoes of of molten. And especially on our budget. Sorry, not molten, boiling hot nitrogen gas. <laughs> so, um, th through this this great oxidation event, right? We're we're saying this is gonna uh, create terrestrial life, and it actually um, led to the rise of humanity's earliest semi-aquatic ancestors. So, um, <laughs> we actually we're descended from these like fish with these big bony face plates, like they're wearing little masks. And a lot like modern-day salmon, they would actually uh, leave the ocean to spawn. So what these fish would do is they would uh, hop out of the ocean and they would, like, wriggle across the mudflats um, into these little pools, these shallow pools, where they would actually spawn. Uh, and they typically wouldn't make the return journey. They would die um, mm. because they had uh, pretty significant predators, um, among which were these fucking... I, I wrote in my notes Doberman-sized, but that really doesn't convey the scale because these things were like four meters from fucking tip to tail. They're Holy scorpions? Fuck. That's much larger than a Doberman. That is much longer. Well, larger the, the tail is a huge part of it. Meters? The body itself is closer to, like, a very large dog. Um, but they just have, like, a 12-foot tail. Well, it's the, well, four meters is, like, fifth, what, 14 feet? Something like that? Something so, like that. That's still that's a big big ass yeah. animal. They're giant fucking scorpions, uh, which also proves um, that my arachnophobia is the most rational fear. So uh, obviously, the irony now uh, is that we, you know, humanity, uh, we're using the remains of the creatures that made it possible for intelligent life to exist on this planet. To, to make cars go vroom vroom. Exactly. To destroy the only remaining intelligent life on said yeah. planet. To make cars go vroom vroom and make whales choke to death on plastic bottles. To let cars go vroom vroom. Or, or as I put it, for nothing other than yeah. a handful of chemical reactions and a few thousand wads of electrified cholesterol. It's like when people ask, like, you know, 
Like, when you're talking about abortion, they're like, well, what if you were aborted? I would have been like, fucking great. I wouldn't. Oh, I you mean I have an opinion. Oh, you mean I never had to exist? I got to nap for, like, six weeks and then die? Cool. That's perfect. Yeah. That's what I want now. So... <laughs> Uh, although, uh, due to surface oil, humans have been at least vaguely familiar with petroleum for, you know, a few millennia at this point. It was, like, largely a novelty until the mid-19th uh, century, uh, when technological advancement, but more specifically commerce, uh, in the decades preceding the Second Industrial Revolution, required and enabled a more explosive fuel source. Now, it's actually yeah. interesting. Um, John D. Rockefeller who in 1870 would actually go on to found Standard Oil, his father was also an oil man, uh, which I didn't know. But he was not an oil man in the way that you think. Um, He was the John Brinkley of oil. He was basically wandering around the country. They, They literally called him Devil Bill because he was, like, just a fucking crook. Like, had to tell this guy... And he, he would go around touting the curative powers of oil. Um, suffice, yeah, put this cancer on your body. To be fair, this was also the period of time where they were like, yeah, take this mummy, put it in a pill, it'll give you a boner. Yeah. But, and it's, it's actually very funny. Oh, did you um, not know about the mummy boner pills? <laughs> I did. I did. Around this time, too, um, they were literally burning gasoline. Because it's a chemical byproduct of producing kerosene. Yep. So they were just like, we don't need this. Fuck, like, we, we need shit for our lamps. That's the kerosene's for. Like, they they had no use for gasoline. Yeah, up until... So they were just burning it. Yeah, up until the late uh, 19th century and early 20th century... Spe- when cars got made. Especially when Henry Ford comes out with the Model T. Gasoline is basically, u- like, not useless per se. There's just really not much you can do with it. It didn't burn long, so it wasn't good in lamps. It burned very hot and very fast, which at the time didn't really help out with anything. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of use for that in industrial applications at the time. No. Yeah. And unlike no, they, and they didn't have fucking gas lines like we do now, where you have an unlimited supply of gas. It was like, nope, here's some in a bucket. Like, you to know, me, what I, are you going to do with that? You know what I would love to see? I would love to go back and see how much coal money influenced, like... How much coal fought against the rise of petroleum? Because uh, it's every steam engine in the country was powered by coal. I mean, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about the railroad definitely, and we're going to talk a little bit about coal interest. Um, okay. Now I'm just an old timey oil baron. Now I now I'm just a guy. I'm who's... just an old time oil baron. No. My name is John D. Rock- Johnny Texas. Johnny Chevrolet. John Texas. My name is Johnny wish. Chevrolet. And now, uh, I'm going to need you to send me much, much more Chinamen to work on my fields. Mucho. Okay? <laughs> That's Chinese. <laughs> yeah, mucho Chinamen. And I'm going to need basically anyone besides white people to make this work so I can exploit them and become a multimillionaire oh, we're in gonna the get early there, 1900s. No, I can hear the pinky crawling up to his mouth like he's Dr. Evil. Old-timey oil bear, Johnny Chevrolet. I'm just a simple oil magnate with my homespun stovepipe silk hat. <laughs> silk. It's my homespun silk hat. 
Uh, okay, so we, gotta, we I have so much. We have to get through it. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, no, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, there's just so much. Um, so, uh, again, in 1870, John D. Rockefeller, a.k.a. the literal Christian devil, uh, founds Standard Oil. Um, and that's coincidentally, it's it's not coincidentally, honestly, the same year that's typically attributed to the beginning of the Second Industrial Revolution. Um, this, or, or uh, what's it called? The, um, uh, uh, oh, there's another name for it. But it's basically, this is the time when we're really talking about, like, the internal combustion engine the rise of oil, the rise of fossil fuels as a tool. Uh, the first industrial revolution was more about just like manufacturing as a concept, like textile yeah. mills. This yeah. is the mass manufacturing. This is auto working. auto engines. Exactly. Um, so yeah. this is this is a lot of um, socialist historians uh, actually, or people that at least view history through like that labor lens. This is like the catalyst for capitalism, like. Feudalism took hundreds and hundreds of years to dominate the world and then basically was destroyed uh, by commerce and capitalism over the course of a few decades. Capitalism rose to prominence in like 200 years flat, like fucking speed run world domination. And a lot yep. of people attribute uh, that crazy growth uh, to the second industrial revolution. Also, not, not coincidentally, also um, 1850 is when we start to see uh, the uh, giant increase of carbon in the atmosphere, as well as increasing temperatures uh, that are not consistent with Earth's natural temperature uh, shifts or natural carbon shifts. It is yeah, those uh, those yeah. cotton gins didn't run on smiles. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I think I think actually technically they did run on smiles because there were no smiles left after the yeah. cotton gins yeah. showed up. <laughs> Oh, Eli Whitney, you fucking piece of shit. You burn, <laughs> burn in hell, you fucking garbage. Uh, so, Standard Oil uh, was actually formed underneath a shroud of secrecy. Um, Rockefeller had been a businessman for a while. He actually actually grew up, grew up on a farm. This is this is the thing. Like, this is where the American myth of the self-made millionaire comes from. Is people like Carnegie. Or Carnegie uh, and Rockefeller, because they actually were pretty poor, pretty destitute when they were when they were boys, um, and then would become wealthy not through hard work, but just being like the most sociopathic guy in a room at any given time. Um, yeah. Rockefeller actually he had all these like little money making schemes when he was a kid, um, so like he would go out and he would buy like a big bundle of candy and then he would section it out and sell it at a, at a markup to his siblings. Um, he stalked a turkey hen through the woods one day um, until he found its nest, and then he took the eggs and raised them as uh, raised them to turkeys to sell them. Um, for a while, he was helping like the local farmers dig up potatoes um, for like a little quick cash, but then he realized that he could actually make a lot more money by lending those farmers money and tra charging them interest. So, as, like, a boy, not even a teenager, he is committing the sin of usury against his Yeah, he's man. in hell. Yeah. I mean, have yeah, you seen a hell. fucking picture of him towards the end of his life? He became Nosferatu. He's fucking, like, all gnarled and thin. He looks his face all fucking sunken in. That's really what does being... look startlingly like what Max Shrek should have looked like. That, like, this is what money does to you. This is what being that, like, wealthy does to you. It isolates you from humanity, and it turns... The fucking word they actually used in the book 
um, that I used uh, to for a lot of my Rockefeller and Standard Oil research uh, was ghoulish. He was a ghoul. <laughs> he was a ghoul. Um, he I, was a ghoul. And I guess now's the best time to mention it before we get any further. Um, the books that I'm using uh, for a majority of my research are The Tyranny of Oil by Antonia, uh, I believe it's uh, uh, Juhaj, uh, The uh, Family of Secrets uh, by Russ Baker, and Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. I highly recommend all three novels. They're fucking fantastic. Um, also, didn't get my hands on it in time to do research, but Upton Sinclair's Oil is quoted in uh, at least two of these books um, as a great source. There's also going to be another novel uh, that I mentioned later that I would also recommend uh, called The History of the Standard Oil Company, and I'll, I'll give you the, that author's name in a minute. Um, but yeah. So, so Standard Oil is, is formed under the this, this Shroud of Secrecy um, because Rockefeller had basically been making these contacts with investors and business people his entire life. Um, so when Standard Oil actually comes into fruition, you know, it exists, Rockefeller put all of his effort into avoiding being seen or heard in public as much as possible um, and basically you know, wanted to maintain as much separation as possible from the public face of the trust. Uh, and that leads into another tangent. I'm going to be using the word trust a lot. Now, trust doesn't mean then what it means now. Tr uh, a trust is basically any large company or corporation. Um, there, there's actually a line in the tyranny of oil that states uh, if Standard Oil had been called the Standard Oil Corporation instead of the Standard Oil Trust, we would have the Sherman Anti-Corporation Act and not the Sherman Antitrust Act. Um, so it's just, whenever I say trust, just think big business. That's all it means. So um, agents of Standard Oil, uh, basically proxies and cat's paws for Rockefeller himself, would often imply or, or outright lie that they were working for some third-party benefactor when they were really operating on behalf of Standard Oil. A lot of the time, this was to done to you know scout uh, possible oil fields, to begin negotiations uh, with uh, rival businesses, um, to gather information, to bully people, to coerce people. Um, he starts out from the very beginning, and it's really interesting to me, and it's going to become more interesting to you as this series develops. You're starting to see like the very beginning of spycraft of tradecraft as a thing that exists just at the very inception of the standard oil company like spies and intelligence have kind of always existed um since we've had like these hierarchical structures that require it but this is when like modern spycraft really starts to happen and it's it's gonna get so interesting it melts your brain in like an episode or two <laughs> um so Standard Oil was actually not uh, the first company to develop uh, equipment for oil uh, drilling, to drill for oil, to refine oil, uh, or to pipe oil. Uh, it was simply the best at making no, making sure no one else could do those things. Um, Ida Tarbell, uh, a historian, author, journalist, uh, she was referred to as a muckraker. She fucking hated being called that, um, but was also a zealous critic of both Rockefeller and Standard, wrote the following in her 1904 novel, The History of the Standard Oil Company. It is the most perfectly developed trust in existence. That is, 
It, satisfi it satisfies most nearly the trust ideal of entire control of the commodity in which it deals. Standard Oil's entire business model centered on the idea of total consolidation. Previously, if you wanted to run a company that traded oil and you weren't just buying barrels of oil outright from another company, uh, you would have to pay a drilling company. You'd have to pay a third-party pipeline or rail shipping company. And then you'd have to pay a refinery to make it worth all the effort uh, to, to get kerosene uh, and eventually gasoline out of the process. Because otherwise, you're just shipping crude around and it's not super, super profitable. But even with washing all those hands, even this complex system of business relationships and contractors, profit margins were fucking huge. Isn't there a word that was like a board game with a dude with a mom? Oh, with a hat. Clue. Like you're talking about clues. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah they're, they're a clue. Yeah, they're a clue. Yeah, the, the Colonel Mustard with his famous hat and monocle. He, Colonel Mustard did have a monocle. He just did not have the hat. Yeah. It's, no, you're right, Ted. It's, it's a it's fucking a, monopoly. It's a monopoly. It's yeah. fucking yeah. monopoly. <laughs> Literally the origin of monopolies. Monopoly. Yahtzee. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Never go to jail. Go directly to jail. Never go to jail ever. Never fucking go to jail ever. Even though you deserve it. Even though you deserve it more than most people have ever deserved it. Never go to jail fucking ever. Sorry. And if you do go to jail, guess what you got from that trance deck? That get get out a of jail, jail free, free card. Yeah. A.K.A. I have friends in Congress. <laughs> A.K.A. the Elizabeth Holmes card. A.K.A. the Jim Baker card. A.K.A. <laughs> Jim Baker. We could keep going. Jim we Baker. could keep. One of these days, we just need to read those fucking dumbass tweets between Elizabeth Holmes and her fucking boyfriend. Those lawyer. weren't tweets. Those were text oh, messages. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so those text messages. Yes. Oh, I love the horrifyingly embarrassing. My tiger, you are ones. my ocean. Fucking We're getting Bellotti. lazy. Sunny Bellotti is just like okay. <laughs> it's, oh god. He's like he's like we're literally being investigated right now. This, you're, <laughs> what are this you is, doing? You're gonna, this is gonna come up in court, you stupid bitch. <gasps> we're going to prison. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so, uh, for Standard Oil, uh, even these ridiculous profits weren't enough uh standard waged a bloody underhanded decades-long war against independent companies both within the oil industry and in adjacent fields so like you mentioned um they they pressured a lot of coal companies um they basically uh, part of the reason that standard oil actually ever faced any kind of consequences for what they were doing was because they were fucking with the railroads they had literally developed a railroad monopoly on oil shipping that iced out all of their competitors. And because of this, it was also fucking over farmers and their supply chains for shipping. And it was also fucking over the coal industry and their supply chains for shipping. So Rockefeller was basically just strangling anybody who wanted to use the railroads to death um, with his monopoly. At least on oil shipping. And it, and it, it did have effects in, in those other industries, but especially uh, in oil. Uh, when a company um, would actually refuse to be bought out, because Standard Standard would just hop around and they'd buy up a refinery or they would buy up a drilling company um, or buy up a pipeline. Uh, this, When anybody dared say, we're not going to sell, 
Standard would immediately start dropping their oil prices. Um, even to the point of operating at a loss. That's something they did many times. Gotta undercut the market. If the business still refused to sell, um, Standard would initiate uh, what they would call a uh, barrel famine, where they would buy up all the available uh, all the available oil barrels in the area, um, so that the other company, uh, typically the of refinery, would not be able to barrel their oil. So they couldn't even fucking sell the oil in their facilities. It would just sit there. Because they, they couldn't fucking put it in a barrel to ship it out. They couldn't sell it. Did they get these barrels from a Hooper or a Cooper? <laughs> I, don't, I don't fucking know, Tyler. Tyler, <laughs> I've been melting my brain with oil information, and I don't know or care about the difference between a Hooper and a Cooper. Well, my father was a Hooper, and his father was a Cooper. What are you, fucking Alan Pinkerton? Jesus Christ. No, I'm old-timey oil baron Johnny Chevrolet. <laughs> Jesus, fuck you. <laughs> Uh, sometimes even after the barrel famine companies out of pure spite at this point because there's there's no way they can even make any money because they can't sell their oil they would refuse to sell the standard out of principle um and at that point standard would use any means at its disposal uh to work these holdouts including uh as antonio juhash uh puts it a well-placed fire uh they were sent they were literally burning the competition to the ground because nice it's assimilate or die and that's going to be a theme that you see from the oil industry time and time Jesus again Christ. assimilate what or is die. this is this is this there will be blood is where's daniel day lewis uh, there isn't there daniel day lewis as well as the novel that there will be blood uh refers to is actually based off a real life oil man uh i believe he was uh a texas oil man i want to yes. say uh it was like something donahy but yeah they're fucking psychos. Oil, the oil industry is littered with glassy-eyed fucking psychos because you have to be a cutthroat, ruthless murderer to become successful in this field, in this industry. Dick Cheney. <laughs> We're gonna get to that, Tyler. That man has so many hearts. Fucking Halliburton. Oh my god, I'm gonna die. Just a pile of hearts for that man. They're, they he, keep us. Co- no. They keep a cooler full of them, just in case. No, no. He his all of his butlers. He keeps them around, and he's like his interns. What do you mean? You pay a butler. Nice. He's not paying these people. He's just yeah. Nah. He's like the penguin. He's he's ready. He just keeps them hot and pumping. He like he like makes them sign that contract from Squid Game. Where oh my god! At the very at the very bottom of the fine print, Some it's uh, I can take your heart at any point. Sign away your physical rights. No, he doesn't have to make them do that. He'll just take them quail hunting. <laughs> just pump you full of bird shot. I think it's... Okay, we're going to talk about this right now. We're going to talk about it probably later, too. Dick Cheney shot a guy in the face, and then that guy apologized to Dick Cheney. Because yeah. Dick Cheney insisted upon an apology from him as well. Like it's, Because he's cannot a be psycho. understated that Dick Cheney was the one who made the guy apologize. By all accounts, that guy was actually a friend of Dick Cheney. They were oh yeah, as close as Dick Cheney can be with another human being that he doesn't have money invested into. Oh, so he God, sees him like, as a potential heart transplant. God, he's like, he's he's yeah he's oh yeah he was like eyeing up that heart, but he's just like textbook 
abusive husband. Like, I can't believe you made me do that. I can't believe Apologize. I can't believe you didn't put a fucking buckshot in I can't believe you embarrassed me like that. I was supposed to get that heart. You embarrassed me in front of the whole nation. And now there's six buckshot pellets in it. It'll never work right. So, in 1890, um... The Sherman Antitrust Act is written into law, right? Yeah. Now, um, it was named for one of its authors, the Republican senator from Ohio, John Sherman. This is prior uh, to the big flip you see in the political parties. So the Republicans in this point are technically the quote-unquote progressive party. Um, At this point in time, there's also a populist party, um, which is made up typically of like small business owners – um, farmers, that kind of people. It's like a grassroots kind of thing going on. Yeah. Um, and then the Democrats, who are still just like a bunch of like dispossessed uh, old slave Dixiecrats. Money. Yeah, they're Dixiecrats. Dixiecrats, Jim Baker's dad. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but by all accounts, the Sherman Antitrust Act was actually a reformist move. It, it, like, we talk about buying off a lot, how like small changes and laws are put into place to keep people from getting too pissed off about how awful things are um there was actually a pretty decent sized call to nationalize um among others standard oil uh that would have been great because of just the fucking war they were waging on the common man uh so the sherman antitrust act was basically gonna go well we're not gonna nationalize them but we'll break them up Break yeah, it up. like Break like it what they're up. supposed to do with monopolies. Again, and this is in 1890, okay? So in 1890, this becomes a law. And it's specifically written for Standard Oil, because Standard Oil is the most egregious example of the trusts that exist in America at this time. 1890. And we'll see how long it takes for that to take effect. So. Yeah, I think they also saw, uh, they saw the steel steel production with the railroads and they were like yeah maybe we should like oh you mean one guy owns all the steel production in all of america that doesn't that carnegie guy hey my name is andrew carnegie and fuck you i don't know (laughs) that just felt appropriate that's yeah i mean yeah (laughs) um uh, literally the next year 1891 uh after the sherman antitrust act had been signed into law um Standard Oil would control 70% of the global oil market. 70%. Well, like, all of it. The whole world. The big... All of it. The whole marble. Just, yeah. Now, it does... Bear mentioning, this is prior uh, to uh, the oil that was discovered in Saudi Arabia. Um, yeah, this yeah. is all American oil, Canadian oil. But, for the most part... So, and... and not to say Standard Oil is not a purely American uh, company. Um, they, they are expanding across the globe. In fact, um, a, few le- a few years later, uh, in 1895, um, Standard Oil would actually acquire the Southern California Oil Company, uh, and they would begin their... So Mexico? What? So Mexico. <laughs> no, this is... This is actually after California has become a state, I believe. I, I know, I know, but like 20 years ago, it was Mexico. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole of it was Mexico, like 20 yeah. years ago, but yes. We should get, we should give them it all back, take it. Uh, well, we're not going to talk about them, but the Mexican oil con- uh, companies literally use slave labor, so I don't think they were doing much better. 
<laughs> so let's let's move past that. Did they control seventy percent of the entire global oil market? They didn't. But here's the thing: Standard controlled seventy percent before they acquired the Southern California Oil Company, which was an enormous oil company. And God, so many burritos eaten, and, so much avocado uh, toast. And when they began their drive into the Chinese market uh, in 1895, uh, the Chinese market was four hundred. Uh, what 400,000 people at the time I want to say um yeah it's a ludicrous amount like crazy crazy amount of people um to be selling to um so uh, you can only assume that they shot up from 70% after that um after decades yeah. of buying or crushing every business and politician uh including president mckinley i don't know if you guys know this uh in the election of 1892 johnny rockefeller straight up bought president mckinley uh, in the run-up when he was running against William J- uh, James Bryan. Fucking just... Hmm. The guy's holy in the pocket of big oil. And you can see that in the way he runs his fucking administration. McKinley, glad you're dead. I wish I could shoot you in the fucking face myself. It's just like how Trump... For about 100 million reasons. It's just like how Trump got bought by Big Pillow. Big <laughs> Trump... You know what? You're right. Trump was undercut by Big Bedspread. Uh, <laughs> no, Big Big Pillow. They make those too. <laughs> big Big Mike Mike they make, they make comforters and mattresses. Oh, sh- I forgot. You they make forgot. so much They diversified. I haven't, I haven't gone on their website. Well, let's, let's, not, let's not do that. So, um, we, need to, we, need, we need another antitrust act to get rid of. So, so at, basically, after decades of like full commercial and political domination uh, by Standard Oil, uh, in 1911, fucking finally, 21 years... After the Sherman Antitrust Act had been signed into law, uh, Standard Oil would be broken up into 34 separate companies. Um, and that would be because there would be there had been a series of events that had actually weakened its monopoly. Um, not insignificant among them was the Texas oil boom. Um, the reason Standard Oil couldn't cut in there is because both the Gulf Oil Company and the Texas Fuel Company, uh, later to be rebranded as Texaco. Texaco, this is an important fucking company name. I need you to remember... Texaco, please remember Texaco. Uh, these are the companies that actually had like the stranglehold on the Texas oil boom. So Standard couldn't muscle their way in and weaken their monopoly. Uh, so they had to actually compete in a while, and because they had to divul- uh, d- you know divest so many resources to that, as well as the dozens of state suits that they had. The whole time this is happening, by the way, they're being like try- like people are trying to prosecute them across the United States and say, this is a monopoly, you need to break this up. And all they do is just move their operation across state boundary lines. Because, it's real easy to do that in a place with 50 states with different jurisdictions. Well, I, I mean, it's not worded. We don't have quite 50 yet, but there's a ton of, like, there's a ton of different jurisdictions with a ton of different people who are super excited to get on the dole from fucking Standard Oil, um, which we're, we're going to talk about in a minute, too. And basically no federal oversight. The, the federal government, most of the powers the federal the federal government has today are actually developed basically from the Civil War um, until like the 1930s, 40s. Like that is the large chunk of federal power. And even then there's huge gaps like with this McKinley shithead. Um, but most of the federal like authority that exists today um, comes from those if it doesn't come from uh, the, you know, the war on drugs and the war on terror. Um, which greatly expand like intelligence and obviously things like that. And again, things we have to talk about in this fucking series. 
Um, so we're gonna get to it. I, everybody's screaming at home. I can hear you. You're crawling up the walls. You're grinding your teeth. I understand. We're gonna get there. I'm just I'm trying to give you the primer. So the problem with the breakup of Standard Oil in 1911 is that the prescribed government scrutiny was about as diligent as you can expect. You Which know, is to say, not at all. I mean, John D. Rockefeller, a few years prior, had literally sent telegrams to six sitting senators to block specific legis legislation that could threaten Standard Oil. Like, this guy is literally, like, calling people up and going, fucking ring, 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 banana phone. Gotta block that bill, bitch. Like... <laughs> I didn't know Raffi was such a cutthroat businessman. <laughs> ring, 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 a banana phone. We're going to overthrow the government. Oh, we're going to talk about that too, Tyler. <laughs> oh, the business plot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to get mentioned. So, uh, Standard Oil is broken up to 34 separate companies, but because of government's uh, the government's lack of will, honestly, they just didn't care enough because they were all getting paid so much. To, to look the other way um and the people who did actually care were in the severe minority um and due to the fact that standard oil was allowed to oversee and manage its own breakup the 34 companies would largely continue to operate as a single entity all of standard oil's executives got fucking spread out amongst all these entities um they would refuse to price competitively against each other and they were usually offering the exact same branded products standard oil stocks were actually divided in such a way after the breakups that from 1901 to 1914 all and i do mean all of the wealthiest households and individuals in america were affiliated with standard oil you could not meet a fucking rich person in this country who was not a part of standard oil in some way Wow, Mr. Rockefeller, you're going to give me $100,000 to overlook all your crimes? <laughs> Where do I sign? Where do I <laughs> sign, Mr. John D. Rockefeller? In the business world, this type of arrangement is known as like a cartel. Um, that is, bears a striking resemblance. Yeah, that is the definition of a cartel. Yeah. Uh, they are actually referred to, I'm getting there, as a cartel. There is an oil cartel um, that exists uh, through most of the, uh, through a large portion of the 20th century, um, and then once OPEC is established, it's briefly disrupted, and then just becomes a cartel again as soon as Reagan is in office. It's great. Well, yeah, because they're like, oh shit, all these brown people have more oil than us? And then they're like, wait. You're way ahead of me, make... Tyler. Tyler, you're way wait, ahead of me. Tyler, wait. Uh, we're getting there. We're I have two sentences, and then we're talking about it. If we, if if they're just terrorists, then we can just go there and take it. Oh, God. Okay. So, um, so Standard Oil, they're broken into 34 separate companies. The largest of these uh, baby standards, uh, as, it's, as they're called in the tyranny of oil, uh, would be Exxon, uh, which at the time is called, uh, or, or previously was uh, the Standard, uh, Standard Oil Company of New Jersey, Mobile which is the Standard Oil Company of New York, Chevron, uh, which is the Standard uh, Oil Company of, Ca of California, and then uh, uh, 
the uh, American Oil Company or Amico, which was the Southern uh, Oil Company of, or sorry, the Standard Oil Company of Indiana. Gotta love Indiana. Well, uh, actually, Amico, um, they actually ended up being kind of like a, a weird, like uh, dark horse of the baby standards because they developed a patent for th- a thermal cracking um, process for extracting oil. So Indiana, which didn't have a lot of oil that was easily accessible by drilling, um, through this patented thermal cracking process, they actually developed their own oil reserves. A lot of the other smaller baby standards uh, would just end up buying crude from either the the larger baby standards or non-standard oil companies um, and just refining it and then selling it that way. But um, these folks, Exxon and Mobil, especially Chevron, uh, especially a little bit later, uh, but Amico, uh, because of the thermal cracking, all had their own oil reserves. Uh, so they disrupted the industry. <laughs> if by, by, dis- by saying <laughs> like by saying like, hey, listen, we're gonna drill down into the center of the earth, shake hands with the devil, and we're gonna demolish this bitch in order for, to make cars go vroom vroom. Tyler, you're you're fucking. I can't. You're so on the money. You're so on the money. It's unreal. So. Uh, it was actually at the same time, uh, early 1870s, that Rockefeller would play his role as infernal midwife, assisting <laughs> assisting the birth of tarry, colicky, big oil, that the federal government was continuing the then centuries-old genocide of American Indians. Uh, it was transparent government policy that the indigenous people of this land should assimilate or die. Just like standard, just like standard oil's uh, fucking business model, assimilate yep. or die. The annihilation would be absolute, leaving no artifact of non-Anglo inhabitation of the continent. This included refusal to pay natives for the forced sale of their land, in cash, but rather in goods like clothing and food. Um, this specifically happened to the Osage when they were forced to sell their land in Kansas that they had previously been forced onto from their uh, actual ancestral homeland, uh, which prompted one Osage chief to say the following. We are not dogs that we should be fed like dogs. The federal government also pressured able-bodied native men to take up farming, um, which was completely antithetical to much of their way of life. They wanted them farm in the European, the, the Western style of farming, Um, Which was just not the way natives did it, and just not what made sense culturally to them. Hey, so you guys know that way we farm over on the other side of the world? That'll work here, too. Don't use the practices that you've used for hundreds of years. And, I mean, the fact that they were pressuring farming so hard made a lot of sense, um, because all the while, uh, they are carrying out the wholesale, intentional slaughter of the buffalo to eradicate a huge independent food source uh, for the natives and gut them culturally. So much of their spiritual uh, life was centered uh, on the bison, on American bison, and uh, following them, uh, it it got to a point... Colin, it's okay. It's okay, we put them on the nickels. (sighs) I just... We put them on currency, Colin. It's, you know, they've almost approached a fraction of their population, you know, 
now that they we've put Sacagawea on a quarter, okay? Decades of generations, you know, it's fine. There was actually there, there's an there's an unnamed army officer who's quoted, uh, the way he put it was just probably the best summation of the the federal policy at the time. Every buffalo dead is an Indian gone. Yep. Uh, more likely, every buffalo dead is like five Indians gone, because that's a that's enough meat for a family for months. Plus, yeah, long plus all time. the tools and medicine that you can make from all the other parts of the animal. Uh, it's it's great. So you know, whenever you see those pictures of literal mountains of bison skulls, just know that most of those animals were left to rot in fields far away from anybody who cared about eating them or treating them with respect, uh, and really done just to kill more natives because it wasn't enough that we were going to poison them uh, with intentionally with diseases it wasn't enough that we were going to steal their land from them we also wanted to make sure that they starved to death if they didn't listen to what we said exactly because the more people that starve to death the less that can breed and then white christian dominionism there you go now funny how we always make it back to that it's funny how it's always nazis isn't it it's funny and trust me we're getting there oh <gasps> Yeah, t- yeah, Tyler. It's it's been a while since we've gotten a Nazi. Oh, guess what? We're gonna talk about it a lot. Great. Not this episode. Later, but we're gonna talk about they, it a little bit. Hey, hey, they needed a lot of oil for that Blitzkrieg. Oh, fuck. Not a lot of oil in Germany. Ugh. So the the Osage were actually uh, among the peoples who would be forced to suffer the latest indignity of another relocation. Um, they were the folks, like we said, who were basically put on a forced death march uh, from Kansas after they were forced to sell their land. Uh, uh, ironically enough, Standard Oil would later attempt to extract oil from southeastern Kansas, um, the problem being the large populist contingent that would end up driving uh, Standard Oil uh, across state lines through their, their various suits. That's that's part of what ended up leading to their breakup. Um, but obviously standard oil gets to profit when indigenous people uh, are hurt uh at the turn colin that you got to keep in mind uh, to to the, to these fucking people they are less than human so they're like fuck it they're, they're like, yeah they're animals they're, it'd be like it'd be like kicking a bunch of fucking deer off of a place where you want to make a fucking a farm like yeah. they don't give a shit it doesn't matter exactly um so uh, th- this is occurring at the turn of the century um, and the Osage would eventually settle on uh, a chunk of what was then called Indian Country, um, what would soon be called Oklahoma. And it was there in these dusty, hard Scrabble Hills. There, there, it, it really can't be overstated how, like, antithetical, Terrible. antithetical to human life, Oklahoma is. Like, yeah, we shouldn't be there. Nobody it should live the- there fucking chapped asshole of the united states i used to go to oklahoma every summer with my family to visit our family on a native reservation down there and let me tell you that oklahoma from end to end is absolutely nothing but meth heads and red dirt period yep but it's not just meth heads and red dirt at this time at this time Underneath those fucking stony fields and rocky valleys that the Osage had purchased with the last of their meager funds 
the largest deposits of oil in the United States were discovered. Yes. And just like that, yeah. overnight, yeah. the Osage became the richest people per capita on Earth. Good for them. Not quite. It wouldn't be for long. I'm sure it won't be for long, but like... However, uh, although by the point. federal government's own admission... The land and all its mineral mineral rights belonged to the Osage because the Osage had actually made very specific. Um, they, they'd written their contract very specifically uh, with uh, a uh, half native attorney uh, that would uh, consistently offer his uh, services to uh, natives and to indigenous peoples. Um, they retained the mineral rights to their mm. land. You see, it's funny because it's like the opposite of what nestle does and nestle doesn't seem to have any problems sucking you know tens of hundreds of miles worth of aquifers dry because they bought you know a couple acres somewhere yeah and in then Pakistan. they just dug a hole yeah and then they're like oh we own all of this water that's in the aquifer because we can get to it and, and every government and every government's like okay Drainage. But these fucking natives find a uh, dope-ass oil depository, yeah. and the government's like... Well, th what the government was like was this. So, uh, because due to the Osage's quote-unquote racial handicap, um, oh my fucking as full-blooded natives, the wildly racist uh, Department of the Interior's Office of Indian Affairs stepped in. Yeah, that's the type of dude that should be running the Department of Interior's Indian Affairs is a staunch racist. Well, the, the concept itself is racist. Yeah. Um, financial conservatorships for these full-grown men and women were established. Things that are typically reserved for children who inherit lots of money were forced upon grown men and women. Of course. Colin, you gotta keep in mind, they're not white. They don't know how to spend money. Because if they have money, then they're gonna give money to the communists. Well, they don't exist yet, Tyler. <laughs> they're gonna well, give I mean, money actually, to they, the Marxists. They, they technically do exist. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk. Uh, well, not really, but we'll talk about it. They're gonna give money to those people who say that women should be able to wear pants when they want to. I'm old-timey oil baron Johnny Chevrolet back <laughs> Jesus Christ. So the, these financial conservatorships were, were typically handed over to uh, responsible, respectable white locals. There's lots of quotes, 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 quotes. Um, and, and this system was meant as much to humiliate an already brutalized people as it was to enrich those charged with protecting them. Uh, God, they should have just... They should have just took all that money and bought guns well that's the problem is because the osage could not directly access much of their wealth because of these financial conservatorships if you were an osage and you had literally millions of dollars in the bank because of your head right because of the mineral rights that you owned you could not draw a check um <laughs> exceeding a certain amount over a certain frequency usually a very small 
amount of money. Your your conservator was typically the person that uh, determined how much money you were allowed to draw out on your own. They Britney Spears to these people. They Britney. I know you got your Britney Spears. You got your Britney they, shirt on, but they, they Britney Spears these people. Yes. Free the Osage. Well, I don't. We're gonna get there. Oh, I'm sure that they didn't last much longer. Well, I mean, I'm there's still some. But because the Osage could not directly access much of their wealth, there are a ton of accounts of Osage children whose parents legally owned millions of dollars going without clothes, going without food, and dying because the conservators refused to give them money for medicine and doctors. Now, isn't isn't that completely like against how capitalism is supposed to work? No, no, no. If you don't understand. Have money. Capitalism is supposed to be able to spend no, it, so no, it no, goes no, back no, into no, the no, economy. No, 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 no. Tyler, 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 Tyler. Capitalism and money are for white people. I forgot about you that. Fucking idiot! You fucking moron! You fucking forgot. I forgot that. They're, they're natives. You I forgot think. that they're not human beings, and they don't they are deserve not human rights. Beings. They don't have rights. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you, Tyler. So, and these conservators, the only reason they would do this is because they were lining their pockets a little bit more. They they would let these fucking kids die. They would let these families go destitute because they hated fucking Indians. Because they were there. There's this. You know, you talk about white fragility, right? And, and for the most part, I think the book White Fragility is a lot of hog slop. But the idea that the white ego is so delicate that the second somebody that you believe is inferior to you starts making more money than you drives mm. you fucking insane is well, real. It's this, it, it is, this is like basically the same thing as – well, it is replacement theory. It's pro they probably had the same idea of replacement theory with Jewish people as if if they make too much money, then they're going to replace us in the land that they had first yeah. that we stole from them. Exactly. God, the fucking mental gymnastics of white people. It's crazy, man. I don't I think I think that is that is white people's evolutionary trait mental gymnastics are our, 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 uh through this system of conservatorships as well as the illegal uh editing of treaties and property lines allotted to other native groups in what had previously been known as indian country massive land auctions uh took place uh for prospective plots to drill for fucking oil um many of these bidders in these auctions would either would be uh uh had or soon would be affiliated with Standard Oil in some way. Uh, and so it may come as no surprise that by the 1920s, a vast conspiracy of private interest, elected officials, and hollow-eyed trigger men began to murder Osage landowners to consolidate their head rights. It would turn into a criminal enterprise so complex and inter intertwined with local uh, government and law enforcement that the Department of Justice had to create the FBI to solve the Osage murders. And even after that, the first 
uh, the first trial that the FBI tried to nail these motherfuckers with failed. And it took subsequent trials to send anybody for this to prison. And it only ended up being a handful of guys. Now, they did get one of the quote-unquote masterminds, William Hale, who is basically if Adolf Hitler grew up in America um, because this guy was fucking psychotic and was like a obsessive businessman who had his entire life ingratiated himself with the Osage while building up his own personal fortune and then used those connections later on to orchestrate their murders. The guy's a fucking nut job. Read Killers of the Flower Moon. They do a great job uh, describing the personal uh, like lives of these people and how fucking like ridiculous like it's crazy that like you literally could not prosecute these guys in oklahoma because every elected official was either terrified that they would get killed or were getting paid by this guy oklahoma where the wind comes sweeping down the plains and we kill all the indians because why can't we love it by the time that the plot God, i still gotta still fucking hate oklahoma it's a shit place I, you know i'm taking back my my previous statement about them being the cultural center of the united states <laughs> when did you say that <laughs> said that in one of the televangelist episodes um, by, by the time <laughs> that the plot had been uncovered and further murders for the most part because they didn't stop entirely f- further murders were halted uh the osage people had gone from being the richest people on earth per capita to the most murdered ethnic group in the United States. Wow. That's saying something for that time period. Well, there weren't a ton of them, so statistically speaking, it makes sense. But also, they were killing them by the dozen. Yeah. Um, As John D. Rockefeller himself said, the best time to buy is when blood's running in the streets. It's a fucking quote. Suck my dick, John Rockefeller, you piece of garbage. So in 1934, what would become known as the business plot was uncovered after a retired general turned whistleblower. Apparently, after learning the further machinations of the scheme, I think this is bullshit, by the way. The general, so there was a retired general, I can't recall his name currently, that these, these fucking ghouls had enlisted to lead an army of half a million men uh when he found out what they plan to do after the coup is when he got cold feet but he was perfectly fine leading a coup uh, now the business plot was essentially a coup to install a capitalist fascist dictator uh within the united states conceived of by a couple dozen businessmen most of whom were you know financiers speculators uh or bankers on wall street um yeah, they, they wanted to take over the government to protect their specific interests. Not the interests of the people as a whole of the United States, their specific interests. And these were people, as we said previously, who at least for you know a 13-year stretch of time had significant ties to Standard Oil, who had significant ties to oil speculation as a field. Oil speculation was enormous. You could make a shit ton of money betting on how much a barrel of oil was going to cost um because it was a sure shot you put some money down you're gonna make a return it's going up constantly it's going, going up. up now now 
Congress kept the names of most of the men involved secret because why would you want to know? You know, you gotta you gotta protect your friends. You gotta protect uh, the people who you're you're closest to. So why would they ever release the names of all the people involved in the business plot? Um, however, uh, the man in the one of the men involved with the business plot, who was charged with maintaining relations with then Chancellor Adolf Hitler, who was also the first member of his family to be a member of Skull and Bones, and was also a future senator from Connecticut, was Preston Prescott Sheldon Bush. God damn that it. That is the father of. Uh, George H.W. Poppy Bush and the grandfather of George Walker Bush. And George H.W. Bush's wife murdered a kid. We'll get into that. So, that's it. That's this episode. <laughs> we're, we're setting it up. Standard Oil has been broken up into a series of, of companies whose names you still know, so you know they didn't go away. Um, the Bush family... Two of them became presidents. The Bush family is mobbed up with Nazis and trying to overthrow the government to install a fascist dictatorship so they can keep speculating on oil. A bunch of Native Americans are being murdered consistently by both the government, business people, uh, and okay. law enforcement for their oil and for their money. And this is the first episode. <laughs> and it's only gonna get worse. Sale. It's, uh, you know, there is that's no the, That's the worst in the narrative. industry, guarantee. It's just, it's just an escalation it's, of horror. It's only going to get worse. Oh, God. I... Jesus Christ. I, Welcome to existential crises. Crises, I just, everybody. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't think I would feel better, but I've been yelling so much that I think I feel better. But I don't know if it's gonna be enough. <laughs> Justin, you're all fucking slick from the waist up. Oh. Yeah, dude, I told you. It's fucking hot in my office right now. Just bring it. All right, thank you, Tyler, for the shirtless solidarity. Um, all right, you know what? Off, everybody, everybody if, if you reach the end of this podcast, just take your fucking shirt off. Just take your fucking <laughs> take, shirt off. Take your shirt. We all got I don't care where off. you're at or who you're with. Just take your shirt off if you made it to the end of this, because Jesus, you deserve a breather. Why do I have Tarps off. I have a fucking rug on my chest and everybody else is slit fucking you're Polish. smooth like a seal. I'm Polish. Yeah, but you shave. Not not this. Tyler's Aren't not also he's like not Dutch. I feel like the Dutch are pretty hairy. He's not Polish enough. This is this is I'm Polish. Ha- I'm literally 50% this is Polish, Polish plus French Canadian. Oh, oh yeah. Th- there's okay. your problem. See, it's there's some bear mixed in there, so that's why you're so hairy. My great-great-grandmother was actually a beaver. See, that's that's my problem. Is like I'm not French Canadian enough, so it's my top hair is or my top hat is my top hairless. Hair. But yeah, but my bottom hats, I look like a satyr. Oh, Ooh. just from the waist down, it's all fur. Yeah, you you look like you're wearing a fucking wool bathing suit when you take your pants off. <laughs> Full length down to the toes. Oh. Cause I got them Hobbit feet. Oh, all right. <laughs> Before the audience learns far more about our disgusting bodies, ring uh, my shirt out. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you once again for listening to this week's episode of Worst in the Industry. We will be back next week and for several weeks afterwards with more about the fucking oil series. I want to die. If we don't all just spontaneously combust due to distilled rage in between then and now. 
Cheers to all of you. Cheers to all of you. Cheers. Thanks for listening once again. Check out our socials in the show notes. Go ahead and submit an email to worstintheindustrypod at gmail.com if you have something to say about our show. Um, Or if you have a particularly bad story about your employment. We want to hear about your bad work experiences. Anytime you were able to screw over your boss just a little bit. Malicious compliance. Petty revenge. Bad coworkers. Bad bosses. Everything. We want to hear about it, so shoot us an email. I don't have anything else to add to that. Um, we don't really have a call to action. There's going to be basically a whole episode uh, that is uh, a call to action for this series. Um, however, in the meantime, if this has made you fucking angry and you want to do something about it, um, what I would recommend is going to donzigerdefense.com. Uh, Stephen Donziger is a human rights lawyer who has been fighting big oil for decades now. They've put him under house arrest unlawfully for over two and a half years he is being criminally prosecuted by a private corporation not by the government who does actually have jurisdiction over criminal offenses um he's been severely mistreated uh but not nearly as mistreated as the people of ecuador whose plight we're going to go into get into further um in the series however his sentencing hearing uh just ended he's been sentenced to six months he's going to his appeal trial um, if you can't afford to donate uh, to his defense fund, uh, please just raise awareness. Talk about it. A lot of major uh, journalists and uh, news outlets are not talking about it because a lot of them take money from fucking Chevron, who is the fucking company that Steven Donziger won a $9.8 billion uh, settlement from because it was found that they were actually killing people. So, look at the Steven Donziger story. He's on Twitter. He's got a website. Um, he's a fucking fantastic guy. He's fighting the good fight. There's a lot of podcasts. They're doing interviews with him. Just look him up. Uh, that's D-O-N-Z-I-G-E-R Donziger. Steven. Uh, S-T-E-V-E-N. Steven Donziger. Uh, see you next week. Yeah. Uh, Kisses. Bye. <laughs>